Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hey, Barry, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm looking forward to part four of our little dalliance with Adorno and Horkheimer in the dialectic of enlightenment. Dalliance? <laughs> I like that. But let us let us We're not having dalliances with Adorno and Horkheimer. Yes, but let us not. Um, So I thought that uh, to start us off today, it's funny. I just noticed, by the way, um, I I feel like uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, Barry is like bathed in light and I feel like I'm recording in a basement (laughs) or something. It's uh, it's an interesting, an interesting difference. Anyways, uh, with that out of the way, um, I thought it would be smart to maybe just give a quick contextualizing of the arguments that exist so far um as this is part four uh it's as hard as it may be to believe some of you may have missed parts one two and three (laughs) or need some sort of refresher so um barry if i may i just want to kind of go through the quick arguments put forth so far and then we can jump into uh the culture industry Okay, so the general thesis of the book, uh, their argument is, is is in regards to the danger of totalizing the Enlightenment and that it leads to violence, uh, functions as a precursor to fascism and leads to sameness, cheapening or, you know, the uh, hollowing out art. Um, so the three chapters that follow that, uh, Odysseus uh, is basically about uh, enlightenment and rationality leading to barbarism and just their their violent eradication of difference. Uh, Juliet talks about the enlightenment and rationality uh, undercutting morality. And today with the culture industry, uh, we're gonna talk about the ways that enlightenment and rationality undercuts art. And the way in in which enlightenment and rationality determines modes of production. I think we should mention that because that's kind of, yeah. So that enlightenment rationality in the in the modern case, uh, in in the latest instance that Adorno and Horkheimer talk about, enlightenment rationality um, provides the model for capitalist production. That's the model of it. It's that's better on, said. Uh, it, it's based on efficiency. Um, standard is it requires standardization. And what was your your last point? This mode of production is another form of barbarism in the, in that it eliminates difference and yeah, that elimination of difference is fatal to art. That, that, that's a much better way of saying it, that the capitalist machine behind the entertainment industry, right. essentially uh, employing enlightenment ideals levels. Art exactly. Right. Right, right, right. Okay. Right. So um, with that in mind, uh, in terms of the chapter, there's basically three main arguments that we're going to deal with today. And you've already done a good job of sort of glossing what, what those are, but just um, so one is that culture is infecting everything with sameness, right? That, that art's been rationalized and homogenized and we'll get into that. Um, the second one is that as a result of this homogenization of art, that art gets split into two camps, right? That we have serious art on the one hand and light art on the other hand. Um, I believe the term they use for this is aesthetic barbarism. Again, we'll dig into this. And then uh, finally, that the division of art into the two camps and the obvious massive move towards light art for reasons that we will um, get to denies people or relieves people of the need to think uh, and replacing what would have been thought with just, you know, entertainment, entertainment, Re- and- entertainment, entertainment fit for the leisure sphere. And the problem with that is that leisure uh, has no autonomy because what has autonomy? The mode of production. So leisure and entertainment, they fit within a very specific uh, sphere that's predetermined, a very circumscribed sphere. It's predetermined, right? All this is about predetermination. It's been predetermined not by leisure, but by work. Right. Because that's the enlightenment hierarchy. You have to privilege work and then you have to systematize work. And so leisure is not carnival. It's not release. It's not unpredictable. It's scripted. You have this amount of time and you have to consume something within that amount of time. Then you got to go back to work. That's how it's supposed to work. Yeah, and as right. you said, and I think this was 
The thing that kept coming to mind for me as I was going through this, uh, and we had done an episode on Jacques Ellul already, but was, you know, the, the problem that Horkheimer and Adorno keep referring to over and over and over with mm -hmm. enlightenment is the need to quantify everything, to make everything as efficient as possible, as same, as repeatable, which is a natural move away from thought for the population. And, you know, Alul calls this technique, right? Like the natural move of all of the various parts of a society to gravitate towards the most efficient means of getting efficient done. Means. And that's really what's happening here what i think is interesting is you know it, sure. it's one thing to talk about uh the workplace being optimized right and it's it's another thing to talk about sort of the eradication of difference in in a political sense um and you know i, I don't think that they're the first to talk about sort of the, the the barbarous impact of religion or uh or the church on a society but what's fascinating to me about this is we're now talking about the optimization of entertainment, of right, right not right. of entertainment, the wrong word, of leisure, and I think right, right, that, right, right, exactly, exactly. So, so, yes. Yeah, so this chapter, more than the others, while while the others are certainly engaging, I feel like this chapter, more than the others, really speaks to, um, you know, if you and I have a wheelhouse, I think this is it. This this because it, because it 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 scales so well to where mm -hmm. we are today. Um. And, and another thing that your your comment suggests, and this is a testament, I think, to the uh, to the brilliant connections that Adorno and Horkheimer make. When you think about, so you remarked on the paradox here. Wow, now we're talking about how our free time, how our leisure time, how even our entertainment has a very specific predetermined place within a larger ensemble of relations. Well, that is techniques, what it will say. That is enlightenment rationality. If you have a system, a totalizing system, determined by rationality as opposed to reason, but determined by standardization um, and rationalization, of course, there can be no escape. It has to be a totalizing system. So, of course, everything, including leisure, right? What room do you have for anything? The, uh, Adorno and Horkheimer's, you know, the nightmarish aspect of this book is that once you see the game, and Kant did this, right, in, in the realm of philosophy, he said, you know what? Philosophy needs to be determined by the axioms of science. Once you make that move, what happens? This is, the, this is kind of the book, uh, the dialectic of enlightenment over and over again. Once you make that move and you subordinate everything to this totalizing principle of enlightenment reason, then there is no escape. Every and, and that's why it's a precursor to fascism. Fascism is a total system. Everything has to have its proper place. So not just entertainment, but religion, art, anything you can, everything has to fit in its slot. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that it's funny, you know, when we were talking earlier, that that's a nice segue into, I think, dealing with the text uh, itself here, because, you know, we talked about how we're going to start this. It's like, okay, so, uh, you know, you've got these two guys who are fleeing fascism, right? And they run to the United States, which is, okay, what is, what is the problem? What is it that prompts this book? Because at the time, the United States that they find themselves in is not fascist United States, right? That's not a thing. So their fascism is the free market. It's capitalism, right? And they're they're and that's what they discover when they get here and they relocate. God help them, they relocate to Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> well, the weather's nice. So if you're gonna escape misery, go somewhere nice. But I think that's 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 a good solid introduction to this right like okay so what prompts this they've they've left fascist germany and landed right. squarely in capitalist hollywood where they see essentially that the same sort of process of enlightenment rationality is infecting 
the entertainment industry here. And that's that's problematic. And the realm that people think, see, here, and here's the thing that's kind of monstrous about this. This is the realm, entertainment, free time, yeah. leisure. This is the this is the place where um we think we are most free, right? This is the place where we think we have a realm of freedom. I'm going to kick back or I'm, you know, kick back. And, well, you didn't have television uh, in that particular No, but you're going to choose your movie. And you're going to choose yes. your distraction. You're going to, you have autonomy. You have freedom here to do right, what you right, like right, with right, your right. leader. That yeah. And that's not the way it works. So, and, uh, and, and he finds that, that that's not the way to do it. So that that's not what's going on. So I'm just, uh, I'm tearing with this point just to sort of, you know, make the point of how the scarifying aspect of this text. It's like a horror story, right? They come here, they think the monster, they've left the monster behind, but the monster is here. And so that's what this chapter is about. The new monster that they now are living in. Right. So um, we found, and I'll, again, if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll get to see it shortly. If you're listening uh, via the podcast, we will try and read slowly and speak clearly. Um, but base, or I'll try and Barry can speak as Barry speaks. Um, but, but we found a, uh, a section in here that I think really sets up the argument well. So um, Barry, with your permission, I'm gonna- Please do, Michael. Go ahead and jump in. So we start here and they say, the dependence of the most powerful broadcasting company on the electrical industry or of film on the banks characterizes the whole sphere, the individual sectors of which are themselves economically intertwined, right? So the first observation here, and I think it's fairly clear, is that what they're saying is the various modes of production, the various players here are all interconnected right that nothing sits outside of the sphere of influence or effect would you yeah the, the, um they're saying that art is an art uh, <laughs> art is a system art is a system right um uh, or a hot well, hollywood film here right uh in that particular instance the films aren't uh they're not an autonomous realm correct they're interconnected with the banks which means it's interconnected with the profit motive and finance and all these things. But and also, also yeah, go ahead. I would say, but they're also interconnected yeah. with infrastructure, right? So they are in indeed, fact indeed, right. a part of the grid. Um, right. So they continue. Everything is so tightly clustered that the concentration of intellect reaches a level where it overflows the demarcations between company names and technical sectors. The relentless it becomes a monopoly, right? Right. Right. So we, yes, the relentless unity of the culture industry bears witness to the emergent unity of politics. Mm -hmm. Sharp distinctions like those between A and B films, or between short stories published in magazines in different price segments, do not so much reflect real differences as assist in the classification, organization, and identification of consumers. Something is provided for everyone so that no one can escape. Differences are hammered home and propagated. The hierarchy of serial qualities pervade to the public eye serves only to quantify it more completely. Could we stop there and go back and Absolutely. just make a few comments? Yep. yep. Um, so we're seeing here the totalizing, the tendency to totalizing um, uh, for the for art to become systematize and what it means for art to become systematized is that it plays a role it becomes part of a totality from which there is no escape so that this is um this is the point that i was trying to make earlier um i was thinking of a passage just like this where um they are noting that one of the principles one of the principal characteristics of the system that's getting created of the intertwining intersection intersections that they were discussing in the, in the opening passage, in the opening of this passage. One of the natural consequences of this is that everything has to have, everything has a predetermined function. Every, every aspect of the process makes sense only in terms of the larger process that's being 
created. And that the realm for individual autonomy, the realm for any, uh, the space uh, that the individual has to negotiate these things, uh, the individual has, as a consequence rather, I'll, I'll say it this way, as a consequence, the individual has very little room to move. And let me just, I'll, I'll stop in a second, but I wanted to maybe unpack um, this one sentence, which is kind of brilliant. Uh, brilliantly compressed and contains a lot of the ideas. I mean, this is their style of writing. The marvelous thing about their style of writing is that even on the sentence level, they have several arguments kind of compacted within it. And this to me is a, an especially rich sentence. The relentless unity of the culture industry, that's all the intersections and intertwinings that they were economic right. intertwinings that, that you, you, know, you were reading about, they were referring to. The relentless unity of the culture industry bears witness to the emergent unity of politics. Quick gloss on politics here. Uh, I think he, this is where they are suggesting that there is an essential unity between Hollywood and fascism. I mean, it's as broad as that. Well, so what is the unity? What is the unity? The unity is fascism is a totalizing system. Everything is under the control of the state. What's the emergent unity of politics that's being produced in Hollywood or that Hollywood is a symptom of? It's no less unified than fascism. It's a kind of hyper-capitalism, a hyper-unified, a totalizing system of capitalism. So in Europe, there is the political, the emergent unity of a fascist politics. In America, they discover the emergent unity of a total, not just capitalism, right? but of a hyper-capitalism, an advanced capitalism under which, in which there is no escape. Mm -hmm. And now the stuff you, that you're going to read now, it's it's talking about the way, I mean, notice, we don't have humans anymore. We don't have individuals anymore. We have consumers because the people who participate in the system participate. They only have one way to participate. They have to consume. And that's why, also in the sentence you read, the differences between the products don't matter for you and for me. We think they matter, but they don't. Because in every case where we're interacting with the system, we do so in one role, and according to Adorno Horkheimer, in one role only, that of the consumer. What's interesting, though, about this, the other thing I want sure. to return to briefly please, please. is... So the, the argument they make, right, is that everything is clustered. In terms of the production sure. of art, everything is clustered. But what they talk about, the sharp distinctions, like those between A and B films or between short stories published in magazines in different yeah. price segments, do not yeah. so much reflect real differences as assist in the classification, organization, and identification of consumers. Not only are we all limited to this passive consumption role, Right. Right. We are also organized in the most efficient means in terms of our classification. Right. In terms of our, our consumer so class. You would you had made the comment that there's little room to move. There's no room to move. Right. Your ability to move to appropriately. Yeah. I guess your yeah. your style, your taste has been determined for you according to your place in the social hierarchy. According so, to the option that you are given. But the, you're limited to the options you are given to the classifications A, B, and C, right? That, right, and that's your freedom, right? And and this is what we 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 get to when we said earlier. You know, there is no choice that art has been leveled to sameness. Mm -hmm. There's still the illusion of difference, right? And they talk about this at length in other places. How um, you know art needs to be recognizable, but essentially it's the same story wrapped over and over again with just enough change to seem different but enough familiarity to still maintain the appeal. What we see here though, is that they're, they, they, they are, what, what's their phrasing here? Um, organized, identified consumers, um, they're segmented, right? That this is, this is what's appropriate for, this is what's appropriate for here. So what you see in terms of referring back to social, uh, fascism again, is a very terrifying form of social control. This yeah. is what people in this demographic will watch or will consume. This is what this demographic will consume. And by limiting and controlling the contents, 
as a known commodity, right, a rationalized commodity, um, media and entertainment is able to exert a fairly, you know, serious um, measure of control here. So I, I, think that's, I just think that's an interesting point to bring up as we're talking about. Uh, no, 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 it, it is. I, I'm wondering, uh, do you want to um, finish off uh, the passage that we've color coded and think is important? Or do you want to just go from here and talk about um, how this uh, hinders thinking? Well, I think there's, how, I, I want to finish this because thought. I think, I okay. think that the yeah. second part of what I was just talking about Please. really begins to talk about the, the division of art into two camps, Let's right? And yeah. so we talk, they talk, we talk, they talk about art basically being serious and then there's light art, right? And right. the distinction between serious art and light art is one of the distinctions is mm -hmm. the amount of thought and engagement which we have to put into it in order to engage like light art is entertainment it's 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 fully passive right um so let's we'll, we'll look at the, the the rest of the quote here and then we can we can dig in whoops i just did something okay um so the hierarchy of serial it's quality bad. it is it is um where are we here so a and b films between short stories published in magazines in different price segments do not so much reflect real differences as assist in the classification, organization, and identification of consumers, right? So that's us being uh, ordered. Something is provided for everyone that no one can escape. Differences are hammered home and propagated. The hierarchy of serial qualities purveyed to the public serves only to quantify it more completely. Everyone is supposed to behave spontaneously according to a level determined by indices and to select the category of mass product manufactured right. from their type. In other words, we are told our place, we know our place, and we will engage with the art that corresponds to our place. Mm -hmm. That that to me sounds like totalitarianism and and uh entertain, you know, a Hollywood the, that is the Hollywood fascism. Well, it's a totalizing system. Do we have uh, room to, or for me to ask a question? And I mean, it's a, it's a real question. It's not a rhetorical question. Absolutely. Passage. Uh, or do we, I, you know, no, if you want to move on, I can, but this, this might be, a, I I'll ask throw a quick question. Wrench, You'll tell me whether it's worth it. You'll tell throw, me whether it's worth it. Throw the monkey wrench. I'm going to throw the, no, it's not a monkey wrench. It's a genuine question. When you're reading the passage, I think I understand exactly. And I, totally agree with your gloss uh, um, of, of that key sentence in purple for uh, mm. our YouTube viewers. Everyone is supposed to behave spontaneously. Everyone is expected to behave. All the consumers are expected to behave spontaneously according to a level predetermined by indices and to select the category of mass product manufactured for their type. Now that I get mm. is that, you know, the range of choices, the, the choices have been predetermined and your and your own um, free will in relation to these choices, in a sense, is necessarily circumscribed, limited, et cetera. I get that. And you were talking about that. Can you go back for oh. just one more second? Absolutely. Here was, uh, here was my question. It was about this, the, the phrasing. So it was about the phrasing of the sentence, the, the prior, the previous sentence, right before the passage I just read and you read. Um, so I was thinking about Netflix and how Netflix works in relation to that purple sentence. Everyone is supposed to behave spontaneously according to a level determined by indices. So I'm I'm trying to see, and you maybe you, you work with me on this, help me on this. I'm trying to make a contemporary analogy and you tell me if it works. And if you think it works, then you're going to also, I'm going to ask you to enlist your help. Uh, I'm going to ask you to enlist your help to make sense of the previous sentence. Okay. So. What I think everyone is supposed to behave spontaneously according to level determined by indices. When I think of Netflix, that seems to be what happens when I go to Netflix. I will go to a genre. There is a range of genres. And my response, basically, my interaction with the platform is determined by, you know, in a sense, it's determined in advance. I, I, I watch music documentaries a lot. And so my first impulse is to go to music documentaries when I go to Netflix. So that kind of pre and in which case Netflix got my back, right? 
because I know where to click. I know what to look at. I know I've seen this. I'm going to stay playing within this very, you know, predetermined field. So that seems to me the Netflix plan, my interactions with Netflix, that seems to still map, you know, what Adorno and Horkheimer write so many years ago still seems to apply to the Netflix moment. Okay. So are, do you agree with that? Um, not only or, do or, I, or no, or well, no. wholeheartedly. In fact, I think that there's even more to it than what you've laid out. Okay, do that, and then I'll, I'll ask my question. Tell so me here, here, here's the argument. Yes, you have an affinity for music documentaries. Right. Not only will Netflix and you know, satisfy your affinity, it will put it front and center for you. Sure. But what's interesting and what which what, I need because I'm too stupid to know what I want. But not right. only that, that, not only that, Netflix will also set the menu of available choices. And there's a line further down in the essay where Horkheimer and Adorno say that the consumer has to be satisfied with reading the menu. That's where we get left off. So if you Dude, think about that's this, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. what happens, what happens to you, Barry, dear friend, fan connoisseur of musical documentaries, is you can watch your musical documentaries as long as they are on the menu. What's fascinating about this, and this is the hierarchy and the ordering and the classification, right? Here's what's available to you. Here's what you can watch. Okay. Guess what happens to all the musical documentaries that are not on that menu? They don't exist. They're not, they a, exist. They're not a part of the system. They do not exist for you. Now, the higher up yeah. in the social class you get, maybe you can afford to subscribe to HBO. Am I a premium? As well. Yeah. Right? I have a lot of other premium channels. Right. But I think, I, think an my, even, yeah. I, I think an even more interesting version of this, quite frankly, yeah. if we get away from Netflix for a second, is yeah, look sure. at Amazon. Okay? Because Amazon has a very similar process. Here you go. Here's what... So I, I'm thinking about their prime service, right? Where... It, it functions very similarly to, to Netflix. If it's available on Prime, here you go. You can watch it. If it's not, you can probably still rent it for an extra fee from them. Right? And it's going to be extra money. But this speaks again to the hierarchy, hierarchical um, you know, class uh, levels here, right? Sure, right. You can, if you can afford to double your subscription for the month, we can show you this. But you're still constrained to what is offered you. You can't, you know, I, I, I'm sure that they, there have been instances before where you sat down to say, hey, I want to see if X or Y or Z is available on Netflix. Oh, it's not. And it's not there. But what do you do? Uh, you pout I, for a little I, bit and then you watch what's available. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> I I have a, a system breakdown. I have a mental breakdown. But it's I, the same thing. It's I, the same thing. All, and all then of I give up. But you're yeah. right. I give up and I say, well, I gotta, I gotta get what I get. I That's gotta it. take what That's I got. And I it's the same. It's get. the same for all of our media now. It's the same yeah. for Netflix. It's the same for Spotify. It's the same for even. I would argue even Google, right, shows you your custom results based on your search history, right. So everything is curated. Everything, right, and and, and it's done so. And this is what's interesting. I think it's done so in the name of efficiency. It's done so in the name of customization, right? But, but we are always pacified subjects. We are restricted to what we can get. And what lies beyond that is just that's that's the ether, man. Who knows? Not for well, us. Let me tell you let me tell you something. You're in your brilliant excursus right now. You anticipated and totally answered my question. So I said I had a question about the previous sentence. Well, here was my question. I said, if this is how it works, if everything functions to, you know, according to this particular consumer option of the menu, uh, the menu option, what's the hierarchy? So I, I had a question about the hierarchy of serial qualities purveyed to the public serves only to quantify it more completely. I thought, well, there isn't a hierarchy between genres. What do they mean by hierarchy? But I think you very well, I think you brilliantly answered my question. The hierarchy here is what's on the table and what's not on the table. Mm -hmm. 
What's not on the table is marginalized. There's the hierarchy. That the options on the table are elevated because they're on the table, because they are on the menu. You know, the whatever. But that stuff that's off the table, the stuff that's not on the menu, it's it's it, you know, it's placed in the hierarchy, actually. Hierarchy, I don't know. It's still maybe not the right word for it. It's like it disappears. It's invisible. It's well, marginalized. I think that's that's the next question to get to here. I'm gonna I I, I wanna sort of think about what is it that exists because we know that it exists, but it's not right. on the right. And so my right. question for you would be is this an example of the aesthetic barbarism? the split uh between high art and light art the hallmarks of light art as i understand them are that it needs to be readily available in Correct. massive quantities and Correct. require very little active engagement because it, it it adheres on a narrative level if it's a narrative if it's a story in some form because it adheres on a narrative level to a strict formula, to a predetermined formula, mm -hmm. right? Yes. I mean, I'm just filling in what you said. Yeah. So please proceed. Yeah, so so to follow that, I think to use, to, to recycle the Netflix example again, right? Yeah. What exists on Netflix is going to be efficient, right? It's And it's going right. to be efficient for Netflix. What can I, if I am Netflix, what can I offer? that is going to yield the greatest benefit, right? I am not going to spend a lot of time or money trying to make the most, you know, esoteric sort of, uh, you know, niche right. properties for Barry Falk available. If, right. you know, the, 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 however many million Mike Rapicis of the world don't also want to watch it. And so what you get there is that 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 hierarchy is really I think you're right. It's an it's a question of visibility or access. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we tend to think of hierarchy as this, you know, uh, sort of vertical column yes. when really it's, yes. it's maybe better thought of horizontally here. Like what simply is. Well, that's what I thought your answer was pushing you to or, toward. And if Adorno and Horkheimer didn't intend it, I think we have to do this necessary revision. The high, when I first read this, that's exactly what puzzled me about the sentence when, when you read it. I said, hierarchy. I don't see a vertical hierarchy. Anything works as long as it's on the menu. So maybe that, you know, and this may have been what we need to fill in in the text, because I think if we talk about hierarchies now within this particular context, I think the hierarchy is a question of, um, it's not a hierarchy of, menu items that and that's what i thought they were referring to it's not a hierarchy like romance is better than sci-fi right right that's not that's not the hierarchy there's no cultural there is there are no like pre-capitalism there was a sense that the most exalted literary form was the epic and or the drum and that you know other kinds of prose fiction there was a sense of a cultural hierarchy within within artistic genres. And I thought that's what they were referring to. And they might indeed, you know, in their less capitalized pre-internet world, maybe that is what they're referring to. But I don't think so. I think, I think judging actually from the their comments on aesthetic barbarism by the fact that they talk about the pseudo quality, the pseudo artistic qualities of light art, I think they're already anticipating our world and our world is organized in the way you say, right? Uh, according to, there is a menu which makes cultural options, options invisible and, and they stand for the whole of culture. If it's not on the menu, what the hell? I can't access it. And there is an implicit prejudice that it's not worthy of being of my time. It, because if it was, where would it be, Michael? It'd be on the menu, right? Well, I mean, I think that's the implication. So I, I think there's two different um, pieces involved in this. And, and, and if, if we're going to talk about hierarchy, perhaps hierarchy as you and I, and I think as most people conceive of it, 
is probably better branded as categorization here, right? Yeah, good point, good point. But I think that there maybe is a hierarchical concern in terms of a ranking value, but that value, and this is the problem I think that they're getting at. So maybe I think that word is actually probably intentionally chosen. The hierarchical value is an economic concern, right? So if you think of this as organized maybe on two different axes, right? Categorization in you know in terms of you know for the purposes of our discussion here is maybe uh, genre, right? So who wants what? And those are flat. That's a horizontal concern. But the hierarchical concern from a capitalist perspective, right? From a production perspective, I think is economic. And what we know is that light art is more productive than serious art. And by productive, we mean it reaches a larger no, I'm, consumer I'm, base. Well, I, 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 it, no. will, it will reach a larger consumer base. Okay. It is more yeah. easily assimilated. It assimilated. is more okay. quickly yeah. assimilated and therefore is more economically productive. Viable, right. Right. And what's happened, and they, they talk about this, maybe you can speak to this as well here, is they talk about one of the shifts where art was for so long protected from this by the patron. Huh who could sure. enable a measure of autonomy to the Absolutely. artist. Absolutely. But what happened is capitalism has erased the patron, right? Now, instead of somebody saying, do what you do, the question to the, you know, to, to those who make art is do what makes money because it is no longer the patron. It's the banker. Right. It's the elect So everything comes back to that, 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 that tightly connected, um, what the, the 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 tightly connected machine of capitalism well you you well describe the difference it's really it is the difference they're alluding to the difference or they're they're assuming uh rightly so i think uh, a difference between a patronage system and the and the market system so it's the difference between um a nascent capitalism and a free market capitalism which mm -hmm. is already starting industrial capitalism which and global capitalism, which is already emerging in the 19th century and now reaches, you know, a different stage, a different level of concentration, a more advanced stage in the 20th century with Hollywood. So, yeah, I mean, you you outlined the line that the difference between the patronage system, which was also economic, right? It, it still had an economic basis by different rules, but there was but different rules and then capitalism because it's increasingly organized according to enlightenment rationality another set of rules entirely so that's the difference here and art changes artists change let me jump from this because i i think you actually you answered uh, i to my satisfaction most of my questions about what hierarchy means so let me sort of jump to another thing that you mentioned and i think i think this is something we had agreed to talk about um, and a, a slight tangent on something we agreed to talk about. It might be a good place to sort of move ahead and, and mention it. Tell me what you think. So you already mentioned, and we have been mentioning in the last couple of minutes, the difference between serious art and, and, and serious art, quote unquote, and light art. So I was thinking a moment, I was thinking about, you know, how does that play out um, in real, um, do we see this distinction created by the culture industry how might that play out in you know outside of the text how does that play out in our experience of art so here's what i was thinking of so what happens when you have a mass production of light art when light art sets the game simply when it dominates the artistic field so i think I'm, I'm trying to see if we can if I can understand, you can understand, and hopefully our viewers and listeners can better understand, what are some of the practical consequences what they're doing? So I'll, uh, I'll just proceed briefly here. Um, so in this world where the culture industry dominates, in the world of the culture industry system, a certain kind of art dominates. But it's not like artists all of a sudden stopped in 1944. You, and, you know, and, and it's not like art stopped today or that artists stopped working today. Artists, and, and by artists, I mean artists 
who insist on their autonomy, who write with a notion of, who write with a purpose uh, that they determine on their own. Uh, one of Adorno's artist heroes, he he's not alluded to much here, I, I don't think, but elsewhere, he talks about Beethoven as his artist hero, uh, because, simply because Beethoven insisted to the last on taking on having a career of ha on, on developing following his music ideas and not caring about audiences or patrons certainly not caring about patrons so that beethoven for adorno is a model of an artist who in a circumscribed system it's not it's not like artists were ever free right think of the odyssey right artists were never free but Beethoven had a measure of autonomy, according to Adorno, that modern artists don't have. But that's not to say that artists 1944 and 2022 don't strive for autonomy, don't strive for goals that are besides, you know, they create their art. Sure, they want to be popular. Sure, they want to have money. But um, they also want to follow their vision, whatever that is. And they want to be able to determine their vision. So Michael... That's a long preamble to a very short question, but I think it might help us, help us to, you know, help us for the text to sort of answer it. If that's the case, what happens to that art? I think this kind of correlates or connects up with what we were just saying. What happens when you have art that's not on the menu? So another way of thinking about that is what happens when artists are still working on the Beethoven model in 1944? in uh, 1967, in 2022. What happens to that art? So that, I guess that's my broad question. I think that the 2022 version of this answer- It's different from 1944? Well, I think, I think so. Let me try this out and we'll see how it works. But let me first say that the difference is really connected to the means of production. Okay, because as Horkheimer and Adorno write, we understand that art is subject to the means of production and dissemination, right? Indeed. It's the internet has changed this, right? So as you're talking about this, the first thing that popped to mind for me was Radiohead. Okay. The band Radiohead, and specifically the album In Rainbows. And that was, so for those who don't know, my understanding of the story is that Radiohead decided, you know what, enough of the machine, we are going to record and release this on our own. And so they recorded the album, they footed the bill for the album because they were no longer a part of the, 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 the capitalist machine that produces records and disseminates the art. They record it and then they released it online as a donate what you want. You can have our album. So you may have paid 10 bucks for it. I may have paid five bucks for it. Somebody else may have paid two bucks for it. Somebody probably paid $200 for it as a, you know, gesture of support beyond what was necessary. So I think as we reach a place where production is no longer reliant upon the whole system, mm -hmm. um, we start to see that change. Now, what's interesting in 22 that didn't exist, when was in Rainbows done? That was- 2007, eight, something Somewhere like that. in there is that we have now sort of technology has caught up. And so I think that it's a game of cat and mouse in the sense that you can- well, get ahead. Yeah. But what do we have now is we have Spotify now, right? And so you can record your info, you can record it, but people less and less are going to purchase that music as a whole or purchase the music at all, right? We purchase the ability to stream right. all apart. So right. if Radiohead does that now, perhaps they have a large enough, perhaps they become their own production machine, right? So, uh, you know, maybe the the updated version of Radiohead is someone like Taylor Swift. 
who's able to release everything. I think she does everything on her own. And she, but she is so massive that she is in her own way. Uh, she is her own industry. She Literally. is her own industry. So otherwise, I think what happens is you have to get yourself onto Spotify and there has to be enough recognition of this. And then the question becomes, are you enough of an industry to register in a way, but even if you are, you're still now reliant upon the system that is Spotify mm -hmm. or the mm -hmm. system that is Netflix or the system that is YouTube in order for this visibility. So I think you have moments where technology has enabled us to sprint ahead, but I feel like the the, the larger uh, technical industry will- Let me try to distill- what do, you, what do you think? No, well, no, no, I love what you think, and I, I, I agree with it. I'm going to try to distill, I'm going to try to distill out of what you just said, and I, I'm interested in what you think of this. I'm going to try to distill out, distill from what you said. I'm going to try to distill an answer that, um, sort of a, a general answer to the plight of the artist and see and and i wonder if uh, adorno and horkheimer suggest let me start again adorno and horkheimer seem to be suggesting that artists on the beethoven model right art and by that i just mean artists who are conscious of their work as as um, artistic work with its own constituting its own totality right not a right. totality that's and, and also insisting on their own autonomy to make choices, serious right? art as opposed to light art you're talking right, about right. okay and so i'm trying to generalize what you were talking about from when you mentioned radiohead i'm trying to generalize and i'm struggling because i'm trying to think of something like uh i'm trying to think of uh a generalization about the artists that would a lot encompass taylor swift beethoven etc uh, w would you be would you be fair? Would you think this is a fair statement? Um, is this a fair assessment? What Adorno and Horkheimer announce in their in in this essay, and what they describe, if you believe their description of the culture industry system, does it not mean? I guess two questions. Number one, doesn't it mean that every artist, in a sense, is forced to? play every artist on the old model is forced to play cat and mouse to use your words i like i like that term they're forced to play cat and mouse with a system they didn't create and so i want so my second question is um is that indeed a capacious way of of explaining taylor swift radiohead beethoven you know schoenberg or composer of you know in the beethoven model the, in the model of the serious music we can think of other analogs john coltrane and we we can mix genres but are all artists forced into a kind of cat and mouse game where they're always struggling behind enemy lines if you have a culture industry system is that one of the main takeaways i i guess i'm maybe i'm just speaking for myself i think that's one of the main takeaways from reading, for me, from reading this essay. It's not just what happens to consumers, is that art doesn't go away. The impulse to make art doesn't go away. So what happens to the artists in this system? I think they're forced to play catch up. And I think if you look at the history of 20th century popular music or music and 21st century music, it's kind of the same story with different instances. This continual cat and mouse game in order to find a place within the system, find a place parasitic on the system, but not wholly incorporated within the system, to try and occupy a place outside the system. People try to do that, but what inevitably happens because the culture industry sets the game, sets the parameters for the game, is that we don't find these people. We're not exposed to them. They don't, they don't never get on the menu. Well, I they're think, happy with being on the menu. I, I think this not is not being on the menu. <laughs> well, they're on the menu. They're just in really, really, really small print at the very oh, bottom. Really small print. And and yeah. and I think this is actually a really good place to maybe stop because we come full circle here. So let me respond by going back to the very beginning of our discussion. The culture industry 
has created a situation where even our leisure time is measured along the same lines as our time at work. And our options are predetermined for us along the same way as our time at work. So leisure is a misnomer, right? This is simply another way of spending time that has been measured and defined for us. Mm -hmm. So if you juxtapose the 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 commoner right the 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 person who is going to try and partake of their leisure time as an alternative to their work time but you realize that both of those endeavors exist uh within the same sphere against the machine right well then what is the musician other than occupying that same space right they're still existing against the machine I think that what happens is our culture industry is going to be oriented and defined in relation, and I'm going to invoke Alul again here with technique, is going to be defined according to what is going to be most rational, most efficient. And so the musician is no different than the... I don't, I, 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 then, then the leisure seeking public. Well, Michael, you, I, I think we have reached full circle. And I, I think your answer to my question is, or you, you showed up, you show, you uh, illustrated a limitation in my question. I was assuming the artist was a separate, was separate from the consumer. But I don't think and there is a separate. Really, and, no, no. And, and I think that's what you just outlined, what you just outlined. And this is, I think, much closer to Adorno and Horkheimer than my question. Um, so I think you did bring it to a close. The point is, if you are, an, so what happens to our modern Beethoven? Uh, they're a consumer too. And they have to work against their predetermined status as a consumer in order to be Beethoven. Mm-hmm. I think so. That's it. That's it. Full circle. Very grim, but full circle. I, I, well, I was going to say, and thus we've achieved clarity, but I say so uh, sarcastically. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's a good place to leave off. Uh, I think that we've probably gone on long enough. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Oh, they should have stopped us 20 minutes ago. Come on. So if, if you were, if you are still with us, thank you. So up next uh, is uh, the elements of anti-Semitism and the limits of enlightenment, which will uh, hopefully provide rays of sunshine uh, for us. Um, so again, well, it was a very good conversation today. Thank you very much for your, your insights. And, and thank you as well. Really uh, to, to, to those of you listening and watching, thank you as well. Please again, uh, subscribe, follow, engage with us. And uh, Barry, I'll, I'll see you again next time. See you next time, Michael. All right, Bye. take care. Engaging reading over the next several weeks. All right. Me too. Take care. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.